Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. So how you doing this week, Mike? Hey, I'm doing great, but how about you? Are you fully recovered, on the path to recovery? How are you feeling? Feeling great. I'm uh, working on getting back to work. Still, still can't go back to work yet. Yeah. Um, more interesting news, though, is my wife is due for a child in a couple weeks, so hey, we may hey. be having it a little bit sooner. So keep you posted. Keep the listeners posted. Yes, yes. Looking forward to that text. Yeah, yeah. So stuff's always craziness at the Fairman household. Busy couple of months for you, man. Yeah, <laughs> you yes, got a yes. lot going on. <laughs> yes, I do. And you're still reading plenty of thrillers. No, I try to. <laughs> well, um, let's get down to business because yes. we've got some exciting things going on with Mitch Rap Pod. But first off, we want to welcome our newest patron. Yes, uh, Melchor. Welcome, welcome. So welcome, Melchor, to Mitrap Pod. We are happy to have you. Your stickers and rap reading list bookmark will be in the mail shortly. And just a message to all of our patrons. Thank you so much. Your generosity is the reason that we can keep this podcast coming out weekly and keep our episodes ad-free. So thank you so much to our patrons for supporting everything we do here at Mitch Rap Pod. We have to talk about our January giveaway. It's going to be open to all our listeners. Uh, and Mike is willing to give away one of his uh, autographed copies of Consent to Kill, which is our book of the month. So any listener can enter. Uh, we will pick the winner on our first episode of February. So you have you still have time to sign up. And in order to be entered into that drawing, you simply just have to go on and subscribe to our new email list at mitrappod.com and just click the sign up for no limits email updates. And then you confirm your subscription in a follow-up email, and then you'll occasionally receive uh, some emails from us just about updates on the Mitrap Pod. So I think that's it. Oh, uh, you got your your uh, you got your hoodie from Teespring? Yes. That's right. Came in the mail today. I got nice. a long sleeve for my brother-in-law. Came out pretty awesome. And I got myself a navy blue, no limits, Mitch Rap Pod hoodie. And it's comfortable, man. I was I was wondering what the material would be like. It is way above my expectations. So I don't know if I like the royal blue as much as Sherry's black, black. that she posted. That looked pretty good, her black hoodie. But uh, the navy blue is pretty sweet. Nice. I got my black t-shirt coming. Should be here next week. Um, I got my dad uh, the, the same thing you got. So if any nice. of you are interested in getting some uh, Mitrap Pod t-shirts, uh, you can just go to our website again, com. hit the little Teespring button, and uh, get yourself some new swag. Yes, yes. Uh, so I think that wraps up the, uh, the business. So um, Mike, why don't you tell us what we're covering today? Yeah. We're both really excited about an opportunity that came up. Uh, we were able to arrange something special this week. And so we're going to take another little break before returning to Consent to Kill in Part 2 next week. But I think you'll appreciate this delay because we were able to talk with Kyle Mills. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Kyle said he was always willing to come back on the show. And we knew that Consent to Kill was his favorite rap book. And so we thought in the interim here between part one and two, we tried to get him on the show and we were able to arrange it. 
had a great chat about a couple of different topics. But of course, it's 2021, so we had to pick his brain about the upcoming rap book this year. And so our first topic of conversation was Rap 20. And we were able to get some details. Yes, we were. Surprising. Yeah, Kyle didn't give us the top secret stuff, nothing like that. (laughs) But he let us know a few things, one of which is that a title was selected. He said uh, they recently just settled on the title and was really excited about it. You know, so I had to go nerd out and do some digging. And I was looking at what month of the year are the titles typically revealed. And so we're pretty lucky. I think we're going to hear something soon. Nice. The Total Power title was revealed January 31st, so not too far off. The Lethal Agent title was revealed February 1st, so just about the same time. And Red War was February 23rd. So come late January, early February, I think we can expect some big news there. Trying to stay relevant right out the gate. Roll that out, then roll the cover out sometime in March or April, and then, you know, keep the buzz yep. going. Yep. The covers, on, the covers on the last three or four all came out between March and April. So, yep, that that makes sense yeah well the second topic we moved into with kyle was consent to kill we wanted to hear uh why this was kyle's favorite book and from a thriller writer's perspective uh their take on what many would consider one of vince's greatest works and then please stick around till the very (laughs) end of the interview (laughs) a little mitch rap pod special we leave kyle with a double limerick known as the Ode to Kyle. So stick to the very end. You get to hear our own No Limits, Mitch Rap Pod, Double Limerick, a little poetry for Kyle. Thank him for coming on the show. <laughs> that was awesome. That that made my night when, when you when you read poetry to Kyle Mills. That was we, awesome. We had some good laughs. <laughs> All right, well, you'll get to listen to it, so we hope you enjoy this interview. Yeah. And come back next week for Consent to Kill Part 2. Well, today we welcome back Kyle Mills. Very excited. You've mentioned when we interviewed you back in September, you'd be willing to come back on. So here, we're very excited to bring you back on. Um, we have a couple couple different topics we want to address. But before we get into um, asking you some hardcore questions, let's get, can you give us an update of what you've been doing um, after you, know, you had this long uh, virtual book tour wrapped up? I tuned in on a couple different nights, so... What have you been doing over the holidays and just give us a breakdown? Uh, not much. I mean, COVID, you know, so um, travel schedules gone and normally we would be in, we kind of split our time between here and Spain and uh, normally we'd be there, but you can't get there. So um, been hanging out and the snow's been good. I live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, so been snow biking and skiing and uh finishing the first draft of the new rap book and doing some house renovation you know that just all that kind of stuff that you know you never had time to do and then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and you can't there's nothing else to do so catching up on all that um that's about it nothing too exciting i wish I, when when i can get a vaccine I, i'm gonna try to go out and do something interesting definitely have you been able to get in any woodworking in? Yeah, I built one of the projects I did uh, for the house was 
I redid the mantle, which is right behind me. Oh, nice. That used to be a big glue lamb. And uh, I built an entertainment center for the house, but I can't seem to get fired up to fix it. So it just doesn't have drawers yet um, or to finish it. Uh, so, yeah, that's been honestly, it snowed. The snow got really good. You're, you, normally, Wyoming has the, it's the constant complaint of the skiers. Uh, like, no matter how long you live here, you're like, ah, oh, the skiing this December sucks, but it always does. Like your skiing here doesn't get that good until you don't get good coverage in the backcountry until like January. But this year it got really good fast, so it killed. I had all these projects to do. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get these done easily. And then I don't know. It's like like Thanksgiving. We got tons of snow, and the skiing got really good, and it kind of kind of took the wind out of my sails for projects, house projects. Well, since you brought it up, Rap Twenty, we really want to pick your brain a little bit about that knowing you just said and you posted maybe a month ago that the first draft is pretty much in the can and so can you just fill us in on the timeline what can we expect with rap 20 where is it currently at any um, upcoming announcements whether it's title or cover release that we could look forward to in maybe january or february yeah yeah um so Rap, yeah. So th this book is kind of interesting. I so I signed a three book deal to do obviously three more. This is the first on that contract, and I had a couple of things. I, li I like to sort of challenge Mitch, and I like to challenge myself on every book. Do something a little different, something I haven't done before. Stretch myself, and and him. Um, so the first thing is that this book is probably going to be a three book arc. Because, you know, Vince obviously used to arc his storylines over multiple books. You know, you think about um, like the uh, third option and separation of power, which I've always called the third separation because it's just like it's kind of like one long book. Right. Um, and so this is going to be probably be a three book arc. And I had I don't know. It's kind of hard as a thriller novel novelist. Now you've got to start. You've got to kind of look at what's going on in the United States and you, you make this, there's this stark decision. It's really binary that you, do you em, kind of embrace all the chaos that's, ha that's going on in politics in the United States or do you just run away from it and say, oh, you know, a guy comes out of Mitch's past and tries to kill him. And that's the whole story. They're going to ignore everything else. So I decided to go to embrace the chaos and, and kind of delve into uh, politics so there's a new president because the the other president was terming out and that was kind of happening in total power right and and uh and so we have a new president and mitch has always worked on a presidency he liked and who admired him you know the first one he saved the guy's life so he really liked him and this one is the opposite uh mitch doesn't like him at all he doesn't much care for mitch and uh he has some designs and some changes he wants to make to the United States that maybe Mitch and Irene Kennedy probably won't be fully on board with. So, um, and, you know, I could continue to pursue the stuff with him having a family and, and things like that and, and sort of his growth as a, as a person. Okay. Thinking about the political scan landscape that you just described and that you set up with total power, it's a really hard transition to come out of total power and 
describe what kind of forces are at play in American society and government. So can you dig into that a little bit more? Because what does a post-total power America look like socially, politically, economically that Mitch, Irene, and Scott and crew are going to have to deal with? Total power was an interesting setup, and it was kind of accidental. You know, I, do, I mean, obviously, when I started to, Total Power, I didn't really know. I mean, I know that obviously Donald, the Trump presidency has been unusual, uh, you know, so but you didn't kind of know where it was going to go. And the setup was an interesting one, because if you, you know, for people who've read Total Power, you know, it was a major disaster in the United States. Um, they did get the power back on, but the ramifications of that were huge. Lots of people were dead. Um, you know, the world was kind of shaken uh, by the U.S. economy going off and U.S. US leadership being shut off and all that. And so it really was kind of a, an interesting transition. You have this new president comes in and has to deal with all that. Um, and the, the, you know, how did, how did America handle that? You know, were there massive, did it cause divisions as opposed to kind of easing them? And so I'm, I've been, I've had a pretty good history of good at predicting where (laughs) America's going and, (laughs) you know, kind of by accident. But I have to say that I, I missed one thing I missed with coronavirus that kind of works from a thriller standpoint is I thought that a pandemic would very much bring America was the thing America needed to bring it together that, you know, obviously viruses aren't, you know, the Democrat or Republican, this is something that kills everybody, you know, and, but in a way it's kind of been the opposite. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is an opportunity to show America continuing to divide by, instead of a coronavirus, you know, I have the power outage and for people, you know, for politicians and people to try to grab power. Right. So it, it was a little bit of an accidental thing. And I, and I don't know how far I want to go with it because, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty divided out there. I mean, people get really mad about things that you, you write, yes. you know, I mean, yes. it, it, people are, mm-hmm. they're a little on edge. I mean, I got an email recently from a guy that really mad at me about saying something about in total power about s- solar panels still functioning in that environment, whereas coal plants wouldn't which is just like the most obvious thing ever. You can't get cold of the coal plant, right? And there's no power. And solar panels just do what they do. But it was like one line in the entire book. And I got like a page and a half. Wow. There goes Pennsylvania. Me the writer. <laughs> <laughs> Did so, yeah. will sales go down in Michigan because of the coal line or uh, Pennsylvania? Uh, you know, well, Wyoming. I mean, I'm from Wyoming. Wyoming. I mean, it doesn't get any more cold than this. So, True. Uh, yeah, but it was like it was kind of like I didn't even remember that line. I mean, it was just really a, a technical discussion of what would play out. So I'm going farther, you know, or further than that here, and uh, I don't know. We'll see if if it blows up in my face and somebody tries to set my house on fire or something. I don't know. Well, I, but it's interesting, you know. I mean, you you want to write about what's interesting, sure. you know. Yeah. When Vince, you know, started, it, it, what was interesting was Islamic terrorism. Yes. You know when. Tom Clancy started writing what was interesting was the, was the Soviet Union. And now I think what's interesting that's going on in the world is uh, particularly that could involve Mitch Rapp is, is what's going on in internal politics. You know, I thought about that 
with your last two books involving ISIS as, you know, the big bad, if you will, and the ISIS leadership, uh, or this man who gets in bed with ISIS, Power Station. And I was wondering what's what's next in terms of an enemy, because you've done Russia before that. You had a few books, you know, around Pakistan coming from Survivor, and was that Order to Kill? And so, you know, we've covered Russia, Russia covered international affairs, the Middle East, ISIS. It seems like a smart move to have America turn in on itself, as recent trends have have shown in recent headlines. Have shown. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's and it's sort of endemic in in what we're talking about generally. That to some extent, America has been very effective, and the Western world has been very effective at, at defeating our enemies. I mean, um, ISIS is largely gone. I mean, so is Al Qaeda. Um, you know, certainly there are terrorist threats, and and you could have one offs and things like this, but we've done pretty well there. Um, Russia's not really a threat to the United States. I mean, they have an economy the size of Texas. Um, their navy is not all that, and they, they're just not going to attack the United States. Um, the you know other than on Facebook, and they've been very right. effective with that. So, but that it goes back to the internal divisions. China. Have you ever? I was going to ask you that. Have you ever thought about China? Yeah, I mean, China is an interesting one, but it's almost. It's funny, I was talking to Mark Cameron, who writes the Tom Clancy stuff recently, and we were talking about how, you know, is that the new Cold War? Is that the, the big game between two major powers that you could go back to those kinds of really complex spy-type um, plots? And I don't know, you know, does, is that where Mitch Rapp belongs? I'm not sure. And China's weird because they're less ideological. They're, they're more kind of a they become very capitalist and are more competitors. They just want stuff, you know? So um, it's interesting, like, what are the threats to the United States? I think they are less than they have been, the external threats, um, than, say, the Soviet Union. Soviet Union maybe kept Americans together at a, a, a shared uh, enemy. And now we've sort of lost that, and maybe maybe human beings need an enemy, and so now we've turned on each other. Um, I don't know. I mean, mm. maybe we evolved that way. I mean, obviously we evolved to be very tribal, right? You know, I mean, if you can't, you know, if you don't have a tribe, you create one, right? It's your sports team, or it's your high school, or you know, whatever. It's your the color of your skin. I mean, all these irrelevant things that we use to divide ourselves. I mean. Like you said, we wish it was the coronavirus that was that common enemy we united against, but doesn't seem to have gone that way. Yeah, who would have thought? I mean, I thought this was perfect. You know, I mean, it's it just has absolutely no political component. And there's a guy, I think he was, was this Spanish guy? I can't remember, I, but I think he might have been, but he commented only the, Amer it was something about wearing masks. And he said, only the Americans could politicize breathing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of right. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe if it was a different year, but who knows? Maybe. I don't know. You know, so and now, you know, you have the election and what's going to happen with the, the Biden administration and, and things like that. So, you know, I, it's also comes at a good time in that you've got a, a new president coming in at the same time it's happening in the United States. Right. So I think that'll be right. um, kind of sort of related to the book or i guess not related to the to the book but just in general 
which secondary character do you look forward to most developing in, in the future in this novel or, you know, the subsequent three novels? You know, is it Irene, Scott, Claudia, Anna? Like, do you look forward to that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've really, I've, I've just taken a real liking to Scott. I, I wasn't uh, super clear on where, I, what I wanted to do with him when I took over the series, but um, he's become much more of, uh, you know, earlier in the series, he was, he was very much, you know, Mitch Rapp's lieutenant. And he didn't have a really strong personality. Right. And I, I never had a really strong sense their relationship was very businesslike. I mean, they were really good friends, but it was businesslike. And now I've, I have fun with him because I've developed him into a little bit of a smart ass and a little <laughs> bit of a, a thorn in Mitch's side. And that's something that comes out even more in the new book because they work together a lot. And he's kind of the like weird guy that, you know, they're in Africa at one point and he's, you know, waiting for to be attacked. And, you know, he's sitting in a lawn chair with his feet in a baby pool, you know, kind of guy. And I think he's a lot of fun that way. Um, and he had a, you know, he kind of had a potential love interest in the last one too. And I wanted to develop that and I may at some point, but it wasn't, this book that I've just that I'm writing now, it wasn't the right time. Women or or men, depending on the gender of your your hero, are are tough to deal with because they're always like back at home, right? You know? Yeah, which is why I made Claudia kind of part of the business. I was gonna um, say you you mentioned also wanting to develop rap and his personal life, which you did very well over the last couple of books. What role does Claudia play moving forward and a growing up Anna? You know, she is getting older to the point where we've already had some humorous scenes with her and Mitch yeah. and uh, him joking around with the farm animals. What's next? I would love to see, it would be fun to age Anna. I haven't really, I don't really age the characters now because I don't, I just don't think it's right. Vince did, but I don't. Um, I'd love to see her become a teenager and, and all, you know, end up like Jack Ryan Jr., right? Being an operative or something would be fun to do, but I'm not really pursuing that. So, yeah, I think in the new one, Mitch, you know, Mitch has a lot to think about in the new one because uh, he's got a new president. His relationship isn't that good with him. And even if it was, you know, he's got to be thinking at his age, do I want to break in a new president? Or, you know, do I want to pursue other things? You know, Scott always wants him to come and work for him. And, you know, the complexities now of all these internal enemies. If you think about Mitch and, and he reflects on this, he's not, that's not his, his thing. You know, he, he does simple. In a way, his, his, he does simple problems. Right. That guy over there wants to destroy America or whatever, and, and I'm going to kill him, and then that's going to solve the problem. And then I'm going to go home. You know, then it's go to Disneyland, well, right? There was even that scene in Total Power where he was like, Ryreem was like, where are you going? Oh, I'm going home. Call me when you have someone to kill, right? You know, that's his job. Yeah. That's all I need to do. He has a specific <laughs> skill set, and it's not political. Or it's, you know, it's none of this stuff. He doesn't, you know, make friends or like I'm, you know, in I would have been an enemy of this. No, not enemy of the state. One in one of the books I read, but I can't remember. Um, you know, he's undercover with the drug cartels, and he's thinking, "Oh crap! Like I have to make people like me. That's the job of being uh, undercover." He's like, "I don't do that. I just kill everybody." So, um, 
you know, he has to like deal with that. You know, I mean, are these problems, think about are these problems, or the problems facing America, um, the, the problems that he's, he's equipped to solve? Right. I wonder, uh, do you have any plans or given any thought to where Irene will go in the future? How can her ca- character be developed? Because she was a strong, really powerful player from the first time she was mentioned in one of Vince's books. You know, there's not much more to give her when she's at the top of her game. She can't be beaten right. um, with what she does. So do you have any any vision for her in these three books and or beyond of where she can go and like what's next for her? Yeah, I mean, new challenges again, because, you know, sort of you've had she's had this history of presidents right. that she, that admired her and she liked and got and, had, and she admired them. Um, and now she's not sure about this new one. You know, obviously, Mitch is much less nuanced than she is. You know, she, he's kind of like yes or no to you. But, you know, so she's, you know, she's wrestling with these changes, too. Um, what, you know, what is the CIA's role going forward? You know, if, if you know, we're really not at combat, in combat with Russia and we're not in combat with China, I mean, in fact, just recently, the, the, the Pentagon has been has pulled back and is not really supporting or is, is thinking about not supporting the CIA in um, some foreign missions. Oh, wow. And, you know, is that because the CIA's role they see as the CIA's role is, as being reduced? Um, and if so, you know, what are the opportunities there to evolve or what are the opportunities? You know, what are the pitfalls, you know? Um, so uh, she has a lot to think about. And I, I don't know what, I, you know, I don't know. What's her, what's her future? You know, private industry or, you know, continuing as the head of the CIA? I, it's, it's hard to say. Okay. Well, anything else? Because our next topic we want to get to is Consent to Kill, as that's our book for January. But before we get there, one last push. Any other breadcrumbs you can leave us for Wrap 20? Keep us interested. Keep everyone on their toes, wondering what's uh, coming. Yeah, we have a title. Oh, okay. wow. all um, right, all right. but it's but you know it ha- it's top secret, so okay. it hasn't been announced yet. Okay. Um, right, but it's know. it's actually a it's a great title. Um, Vince's editor came up with. So, okay. Oh, we're in good hands. Uh, yeah, hopefully that announcement will come out here pretty soon. All right. Cool. Well, Chris and I record a little mini series for our patrons who financially support this project. And our last one was our favorite titles. And Chris and I just went back and forth. We both agreed Lethal Agent and Total Power are among the finest titles of any rap novel yet. So, and those were his his editor too. Yeah, I love Lethal Agent because, you know, and Total Power, both, you know, double entendres, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at titles. So, they send them and I'm like, ah, yeah, this is great. This is perfect. Nice. I guess on that, um, we're always curious and a segment of our podcast is about the covers of the different books. What's the process uh, from this point to uh, printing and publication in terms of selecting and getting the cover set? Is that out of your hands completely? Yeah, it is. I'm not, I don't have a very artistic eye, so I don't get in, too involved in it other than I think Total Power, actually, I made comments on and they listened to them, which is probably the first time in my career. Um, those are funny. You know, they, they when I first got into this, I think, 
they re kind of rebranded all the paperback covers. And I, you guys have probably seen them. They were, they did not watercolors, but they were sort of almost like abstract paintings. And there was like a shadow of Mitch Rapp. And then it yes. would be like Istanbul in front of them or something. And I really loved those. I loved the branding of it. Um, you could see suddenly a Mitch Rapp a long ways away, kind of like, uh, you know, some other authors have done. And, but I think they felt like they were, you know, they got a little dated and they, and they wanted to do something a little more structured. And that's what you've seen in the last couple of books. Gotcha. So I, yeah. I mean, that's really beyond me i i look at them and I, it's either pretty or not pretty to me there's i know the uh the line you're talking about and chris maybe you're gonna were you mentioning power lines yeah, there there's one line where there's a lot like there's power lines in every book cover and we we sort of riff on like there's never a scene with power lines until like this most recent one until when there power. was no power lines <laughs> there are no power lines on the cover right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Is that right? I, I, we can't figure that one out. We don't know if it's an international line because it's one of the rarer ones. I've actually never seen it in print, but there's a lot of pictures online of this line of covers, and every single time it has power uh, power lines and wires running through an open field on the cover. And we're like, how does that possibly relate to the story? And then comes Total Power, and it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> there yeah, it is. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I had some ability at that, but I I've tried and and my ideas are always bad. We figured it was you know someone making a decision you know oh this looks nice let's let's just put that on the cover. But yeah, I mean there are a lot of really talented people. My first cover for a book I wrote called Rising Phoenix, I think was one of the most beautiful That's covers. That's a very good cover. Uh, yeah, I think of all time in thrillers, and it, in. It was interesting. A few years after that, they did the New York Times did like a full page article on the guy that did those, and that cover was really prominent in the New York Times article because um, it was just gorgeous. Uh, so, and the same thing with you know some of the rap ones that you look at, and they're just incredibly striking. And now they do a lot with the texture and everything. And um, you see a picture of them, and they look good, but when you see them in your hand, the way right. the light hits them, and the way they right. feel, and everything is really really nice and then there's a lot of weird stuff about them that you don't think about like for a while they said green covers don't sell hmm. so i don't know why they said that and then white i had a white cover that i really loved and they didn't want to do it and i couldn't figure out why and they said it's because they get dirty they get dirty i was gonna say yeah that. <laughs> and i like it never occurred to me that they would be sitting on, you know, whatever at Barnes and Noble or something, and they would have people's dirty fingerprints. <laughs> I feel like one of yours was was it Order to Kill or Enemy of the State is like kind of white. Right? Enemy of the State has the white jacket, I think. And I they keep it look clean. Great. I do keep it clean. Yeah. Well, when they're clean, they look they're really <laughs> striking because not many people do it. So you know they really stand out right. on the shelf. <laughs> cool. So I guess just to pivot a little bit, um, Mike just said that. This month is we're doing a deep dive into Consent to Kill. And back in September, you had mentioned that Consent to Kill really stood out to you as one of Flynn's, you know, very seminal and most impressive books. And so we thought it would be for this month to not only have you on again to talk about Rap 20, but also to sort of get your and you, you mentioned you mentioned in an email that you have not read the book recently, but I'm sure you, you know everything about it. And we just wanted to sort of pick your brain um, and not, not so much about the nitty gritty details, but more so 
just some uh, from a writer perspective you know so the first thing that we wanted to ask was so this is the longest rap book to date in like our i, I don't know if it, it might be the longest rap book uh in this series that or yeah that or uh tr- transfer of power i would think they're both really thick but it's it's at least the the longest one that we've it's like 700 and something pages yes, isn't it yeah yeah so from an author's perspective how is a lot how, how um do you keep a reader engaged uh when building a long um, story uh, and keeping the reader's attention and can you give us a little bit more on that yeah you know i i'm probably a bad person to ask because i write really short books i think the longest book i ever wrote was fear of influence and that was maybe one hundred thirty-five thousand words and i would think vince's probably went over two hundred thousand. um it you know, for me, I'm a cutter. So my first drafts will be pretty long. And then I just start hacking away and chucking stuff out of it. I'll chuck uh, 15,000 words out of it. It's like probably the equivalent of 10 chapters sometimes. So, you know, if you have a lot of interesting subplots, so in that book, you know, you had like the Orion team, you know, he was, he was going to, kind of redo the way the in the intelligence system worked right. and that was kind of its own thing it, you know with the louis gould stuff and the, the saudis was that was another side of it and um you know then you had the poli- the political side of it so it was it was a number of ideas as opposed to one super linear idea um like uh you know, American Assassin would be an example of a, of a book that was pretty linear about his training right. and, and becoming, a, becoming an agent. So, you know, he had three interesting things going on uh, to, to connect together and to play back and forth. Um, and obviously that helps. But boy, I'll tell you, I can't imagine writing a book that long. It, it, I don't know what I'd say. I'd have to like jam two books together or something. I, but then, you know, you have somebody like Tom Clancy or Stephen King who can really, um, you know, Ken Follett, who can really hold your attention for a, a long time. It's a, it's a, it's super, to me, it's very, very impressive. It's one of the reasons maybe that this is my favorite Vince Lynn book, not just because of the story or the characters or anything, but also because I'm always impressed. If you can sit me down in front of a 750 page book, and make me finish it, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, I think what also makes this a, probably a lot of people would agree Vince's greatest work and a fan favorite is that it has these subplots you mentioned and keeps you engaged through a quite complex story. But it does get more singular as it progresses, particularly at the key moment in the plot, you know, the loss of a major character, which we'll get to it becomes a revenge story. And so mm-hmm. at least Mitch becomes very singular on a mission, you know, revenge. And recently, I know I've heard Jack Carr and, and you talked to him recently in, in a YouTube interview I saw or spoke with him. Hit Terminalist was a revenge story. He said when he writes, he has a post-it note. And for that book, it was revenge written on the post-it note. And every paragraph, every sentence had to had to ooze revenge as a theme. Well, I, I think that's something Vince does with the second half of this book. What's it like writing a revenge plot or having one motivating theme that's so strong? Is that something that's hard to do or does that help help your writing kind of stay on track? 
I think, yeah, I think it does help you kind of stay on track. I, I tend to start with a big theme. It's not revenge typically, but it would be, you know, I mean, total power would be the obvious, you know, the power goes out. Like, what do you do? Um, and then I build from that. Um, the revenge stories are so classic. You know, I mean, it's something we, as a human, you know, you, you feel on a very deep level. You know, this person's been wronged in this horrible way. We all, you know, you, you, you know, we really, we, everybody can feel, has felt that in the past. They can understand that sensation. So, you know, that's like an end. It's such a classic theme for a book. And it, like, there's so many ways to tell that story well. And obviously Vince did, did that in, in this book. And so you have all the other subplots as well. But like you say, is those tend to fall away. And, you know, really like, I mean, what I talked about with the, you know, his idea of, of kind of redoing the way uh, intelligence works just kind of falls away and never really reappears. Right. Um, and I think that's partially all, also because of the, the style in which Vince wrote. And by that, mean, I mean his process was much less um, structure. I don't know, scientific than mine, I guess, I, I, for want of a better word. You know, you can read Vince's books as an author who, you know, and dissect them like I did, you know, in order to take over. And like what, what stands out about Vince is he, he, was, he wrote on pure talent. Like, I mean, he wasn't planning this stuff. Like I do, you know, I, I, I have to plan stuff. I write really meticulous stuff and research things and put things together in outlines and all this. And he was, Tom Clancy was the same way. You know, you start on page one and you just blast through the story right out of your head. And um, like that, I think is one of the things that creates a lot of the urgency in his books. And if they that feel they they really connect you with you on an emotional level and all that because I think those are the things he was feeling when he uh, when he wrote those books as opposed to you know I tend to calculate them out a, li a little more. I noticed this in Consent to Kill, and I guess I've also noticed it before, but it was really prevalent in Consent to Kill the fact of the pacing of the chapters. In the beginning, they're very long, and then towards the end, you get much more quick pace is that and that's something i think you've done as well is that something you're conscious of to like you know ramp up the pace of of as you're turning the page or i don't know that i think about it with the length of the chapter i mean i try to i tend to just to keep it straight in my head i tend to write chapters scenes okay kind of like a movie so my chapters are scenes and it it that way I can keep them straight as I think back on them or if I have a problem that I run into, I know, oh, that was this scene and I can locate it. As I don't like writing a chapter that's maybe 50 pages long that has a lot of stuff going in. It just doesn't seem logical to me. It seems like that's a perfect place for a break. Um, you know, Vince all oftentimes wrote much longer chapters than I did right. and that, that encompassed multiple scenes and and then he wrote those really, really long uh, action sequences too, which I had to learn to do to take over this. So I'd never done that before. How did you learn to do that? Uh, what, what, what was your research? You know, I looked at a lot of them. I, it was one of the biggest, my biggest worries when I 
took it over, I thought, you know, I mean, one of the things I did when I, you know, I was reading The Last Man and I started reading through some of the other books, the question was, you know, can I do this? You know, not can so much can I get the job? I thought I probably could get the job. Um, but can I pull it off? I didn't really want to embarrass myself or embarrass Vince's memory or Mitch Raff or anybody. Um, and that was my biggest worry. The question was, could I write, you know, a 30 page action sequence? And, you know, I read through a lot of Vince's, I read through a lot of other people's and decided I thought I could, but, you know, I have to really outline them. You know, to me, the an action sequence has, you know, kind of a beginning, a middle and an end. And, and I write them as little novels. Um, whereas I'm guessing that Vince just really naturally you know, just sat there at his typewriter and banged away at him and they ended up being 40 pages or whatever when they were done, but I have to think about it. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of action scenes, that's another thing that makes Consent to Kill the most memorable and important in the series is that Vince took some risks, I feel, in this book. And similar to how you felt, you know, were, were the fans going to embrace you and were you going to get this right? Vince is killing off a, a major character. And then that so that's one kind of surprising twist. And then the epilogue. I, I really think we, I want to hear your feelings on this epilogue, which is Mitch Rapp forgives or seems to forgive or at least is willing to walk away from getting revenge and, and justice being served to the killers of his wife. And we find out the baby is named Anna and the Goulds, particularly Claudia, felt so deeply about, full of regret. These are all risks. How does it feel as a writer to take that jump and do something that bold on the page that you quite frankly don't know if it's going to land? What is that like? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think Anna, you know, the writing was on the wall for Anna because like I said, it's super hard to write, to have the spouse at home and whether it's a husband or a wife or whatever. And you could see, he wrote a book prior, I think prior to that, Memorial Day. she was off like visiting her parents, the whole book. Yeah. And, you know, it's just such a pain, you know? And so I thought I, I can definitely understand it. I remember his editor saying how happy she was when Anna died. Um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, but, but it's like, Oh God, thank God. And she's gone. And now I go off and just do this stuff and be Mitch and not have to worry I kinda about it. I kind of felt that way too. <laughs> yeah. I think, and you know, Anna truth be told, I mean, she, I felt like she'd ride him a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know I mean? She's yeah. just like, oh, stop riding. He's like, well, I'm saving the world. She's like, well, <laughs> did you bring the milk home or whatever? So um, that one, I think, yeah, like I saw that one coming. Um, with Gould, it's more complicated. You know, I I have to admit that I thought that, that was incongruous with his character. Hmm. Um, I understand what Vince was doing with the whole, he'd become really dark after this and there, he needed some kind of redemption. But I just found it really hard to swallow that that wouldn't, like that that would be where he'd be looking for his redemption. Certainly not, maybe not killing Claudia. Right. But, and I also saw Gould as a bit of a sociopath. Yes, um, yes. And not a guy who could be redeemed, really. And so when I took him up, 
you know, obviously I, I had a couple of characters that I just didn't understand. Ghoul, like why he was still alive and what their relationship would be, and Hurley, who had just gotten so old that I couldn't really see him doing operations mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, bring back Gould and I, I mean, they, I kind of had to because he, he was, was in the like, last man. Yeah. He was in that arc. Yeah. But I didn't know what to do with him. And I really agonized over that until I realized I could just kill him. And, but I, you know, I, he had to, I think he, he showed his colors that Vince had developed. The guy was a sociopath. He was, you know, an egomaniac. He hated being second fiddle. To Mitch Rapp and and this is sort of a, a thing that wasn't going to work, but yeah, I always wanted Gould to die. You know, like as a fan, before I took it over, I thought, you know, at some point, I hope he brings him back and kills him. He does um, save Mitch's life in Last Man, so by sparing him in Consent to Kill, you know, it comes yeah. back and helps Mitch down the road. If you think of it as a really long, you know, drawn out arc, or you know, right? Obviously, in being but Vince's last end, book, he betrays him. You know, in the yeah, end. true. Yeah. So, um, because it's just like, you know, what's that old joke about the, so the scorpion that goes across on the, on the, on the frog's back and in the middle of the stream, he stings him and he's like, you're, we're both going to drown. Why did you do that? And he said, it's in my nature. Um, and that was like in Gould's nature, you know. And also, you know, Louis acting out of self-interest, but sometimes the self-interest what well, in his that scene i'm thinking of in, in last man it was in his self-interest to give himself up to rap as a way to save the both of them so he was very he was a sociopath and looking out for himself even when he did yeah. save rap and later on would betray him and that was kind of yeah it was sort of an ancillary benefit or yeah. whatever but uh, those two that the world wasn't big enough for the two of them that's true definitely you you kind of pulled off uh, a similar character who if Louis wasn't an equal to rap and no one really could be by creating Grisha, you came close though, to recreating a character of that nature. Did you have Louis in mind at all when you were crafting? Azeroth? No, because I think they're such different. People. Sure. I, know, I actually I like mean, Grisha. I did not like Louis. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, intentionally, yes. right? Louis is a horrible person. He was meant to be and Grisha was uh, not really meant to be a horrible person, just a person who was sort of a victim of his circumstances. And um, no, not really. I mean, in fact, um, I never really thought of Louis Gould as as rap's equal. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in the world, for sure, you know, top three or something, I think I said in a book. Um, But uh, I I never really saw them as equals. Whereas Grisha, I saw as, and I actually, I discussed this with, with his editor and his agent, Vince's editor and agent, um, before I did it. Because I said, this is something that's kind of never been done before, but I want to bring on a guy who is more or less Mitch's equal. And, you know, not going to be his equal, but, but close enough that Mitch would really rather avoid him than take him on. You know, obviously what he did to Scott Coleman and all this. And then at the end, you know, Mitch wins, but, you know, flying through the air with his hair literally on fire, you know. Um, So I didn't know how people would take that. I didn't know how fans would take that because, you know, the part of this series or a big part of the series is that, you know, you don't want to see Superman bleed. 
And uh, I was actually surprised. It was an overwhelmingly positive. The, the, the reaction to Grisha in that book was overwhelmingly positive. Now, interestingly, it was not overwhelmingly positive in Red War, where he kind of went his own direction and, and I think became too much of a, like a, a, like a kind of a, a competing character. I think people felt he was a competing character in that book um, and that it took the spotlight off of Mitch, hmm. which is why he isn't really been back much yeah i was going to ask you uh, are we going to see grisha ever again yeah where probably is not yeah because you know i felt like he sort of went off into the into the sunset you know with his girlfriend and and never really wanted to be in that business so right um you know whereas mitch would say i did this and does say you know i did this because you know it's something i believe in i think grisha would very much say i did it because i'm good at it and uh and once once he could get out of it, he was very happy. I see that as a guy, sort of like my father, who was an FBI agent. Um, you know, I remember my, my entire life, my father carried a gun. And then he retired. And I, like the day he retired, basically, you know, he took it off, he put it in a box, and he put it in the attic. You know, that was, wasn't sort of who he was. It was just a, like what he did. Speaking of your father, he, he worked on the Lockerbie um, flight, uh, like the investigation for that, right? Yeah, yeah, he was, he was the lead, the FBI's lead guy on that because we, he was the legal attache to the United Kingdom. So we lived in London at the time. And they just um, finally, and they finally uh, charged a guy, right? Well, I mean, they charged people. Like, yeah, that's a long and complicated uh, story. Like who... Who was really behind that? And, you know, it was the government probably, and it was individuals, and, and it was a little hard to, you know, they were all hiding out in other countries and things like that. So I think they knew basically who was responsible, right. but it went up the chain a pretty, a pretty long ways. So, yeah. Um, when, I, when I saw it in the news, I thought of you and, and your father. So Yeah, <laughs> you know, me too. I read those articles, and I think, you know, that's a long time ago, though. I mean, I was, uh, you know, that was my, when that happened, it was my, college, I remember it really well. It was right? my college graduation yeah. dinner in London. Oh, wow. My dad's assistant came in and said right. that this plane had gone down in Lockerbie, and we all sat around and finished dinner because they thought, oh, well, you know, maybe it's just a, a mechanical issue. And then it became clear that it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of shared history with the trap there. So just to bring home our uh, and wrap up our consent to kill discussion, you know, consent to kill came pretty much halfway through or a little bit towards the later end of the books that Vince wrote. It's his longest. It's perhaps the most dramatic in terms of the events that happen. Some might call it the pinnacle. You know, a lot of people would agree of, of Vince's writing. Of course, American Assassin is going to going to be a big one as well. Do you feel you've hit your consent to kill yet at your your big one, your main Mitch rap story, it, you know, do you feel like you're over that hump and you're ready to go? This is yours. You feel like your consent to kill is still out there. You're still working towards this major, major work. Or are you, where are you at? How are you feeling as the purveyor of rap? Yeah, it's a hard question. I mean, I guess I, I like my books 
somewhat equally maybe for but for different reasons um i i i have to actually say that i wrote or when i wrote order to kill i finished it and i walked out and i told my wife i'll never write a better mitch rap book than oh, that wow. oh wow um like it was exactly what it what i intended it to be and that's not always true when you write a book. Sometimes they get away from you. It was. It is not necessarily the fans' favorite. Um, honestly, I think Total Power in the end might be, which I did not see coming. Interesting. Um, so, but that one to me blended what Vince did well and what I do well. It introduced the Grisha character, which is a character that Vince wouldn't have written, I don't think but it's very much a book, a character that I would have written. The interaction between them, I think was really interesting. Um, the relationship they formed, I think uh, was cool. So I loved that book from the standpoint of, I just thought it was a great blend of, of, of his style and my style. But I don't know, you know, I mean, that, that's an interesting, I mean, this arc is gonna be interesting, you know, is it, it's hard to know what fans, how fans react, because I looked at this, believe it or not, when I took over, I literally went on and figured out what all the, I read just tons of the Amazon reviews of those books and figured out how many stars they got, like had in numer numerically. So I had, it was like a 3.84 or something. And I ordered them all and compared them to what I thought. And to see if fans agreed, like, I thought this was his best book and maybe this is his worst book if they were all in the same hierarchy. And I wouldn't say I have, I'm, I can predict necessarily what fans are going to love and what they aren't and um, whether it's exactly what I think. So, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe my consent to kill's out there, but I won't know it right. when I finish it, you know, until I... You know, I wrote a book called Fade many years ago, and I thought, oh, that was good. I really liked that character. It was a super fun book to write, and I put it out there. And like that character became incredibly beloved, and I still to this day get email about that character and how much people love that book. And they're like, I've read that book twice. I read it once a year since it came out and stuff, and it never occurred to me that that would be the case. In uh, relation to like reviews how much do you actually pay attention or look at uh fan reviews or you know fan criticism and does that do you allow that to affect how you write the next novel in any way or just tune it out um when it was my own books not that much um i you know i knew what i was after in a book and i had a lot of loyal fans that liked them um but I was kind of all over the place as far as subject matters and, and styles and things like that. And, and so, you know, as long as I was happy with the book um, and I thought it was a good product and the best thing I could put out, you know, fans maybe didn't like the subject matter or whatever. I wouldn't say I, I paid, you know, I paid attention to it. I, cause I, you, nobody wants to write stuff that people hate, but I had ideas about what I wanted to do. Um, and maybe that wasn't, they didn't, like I wrote a book once that was general fiction in the first person and nobody gets shot. There's none of that in it. And that was the book I wanted to write. And I did. And 
My fans really liked it, but a lot of them did say, yeah, I got halfway through that and thought, this isn't a thriller novel. And, but I, then once I sort of changed over, I liked it. Um, with Vince's stuff, it's definitely different. You know, I always have the fans in mind right. because I'm not writing these for my own edification, right? I, they, you know, I have a let, there's, you know, Vince's legacy, you know, his massive fan base, the incredible passion people have for this character as he was written by Vince. And so, yeah, I do. I mean, obviously you're going to get with reviews, it, it, they can be all over the place. I mean, you know, people, the first book, particularly, I got a lot of email about half of it was that I had made Mitch too thuggish and half right. of it was that I had made him too soft. So I figured I was okay because I was like half people complained one way, half the other way. I must have gotten it like right down the middle, which is sort of what I was going for. Um, I don't get as much of that now. I think people are less, see me more. I think I have a little more credibility. Um, but um, yeah, you know, like for instance, uh, Red War, which I really liked. I really enjoyed writing it. I thought it showed Vincent or Mitch in a different light. I think it thought it gave him new challenges that he hadn't faced before. Um, but I got pushback from fans on that book hmm. um, for a number of reasons. And I had to give some thought to it. It was really funny, though. The criticism there is people would just, I, I would get some, I got some email on that was, that was just like, you know, I want to have you killed, basically, for writing this book. Oh and it was that, blah, blah, blah. It would go on and on and And then at the end of it, they would almost always go, you know, but it was a good book, though. <laughs> but the, I, the it, well, you know, it was what what their the point they were trying to make was, yeah, it was a great thriller, but it wasn't a great Mitch Rapp thriller, right? Because I think because you it had three char main characters. Yeah. It had the president of Russia. It had Grisha Azarov, and it had Mitch Rapp. And that people don't remember. I mean, that isn't completely unprecedented in the series, but people don't remember that. So. You know, Mitch Rapp has become such a beloved character. I mean, the spotlight, you have to be focused, and I'm always focused on the spotlight, always staying on him. I remember the comfort you gave us with the Survivor. You know, just a time period of what's going to happen to Mitch, what's going to happen to these stories, being so sad about what happened to Vince. And when the Survivor came out, I was on edge opening it up, to be honest, and what a delight and a comfort it was. And I just remember that so viscerally feeling like I don't think I've read a book and felt physically affected by it as much as the survivor, just because it was this feeling of relief that we're in good hands. And uh, and well, so thank you, because I remember that so much. I appreciate when you try something different. So I loved Red War, uh, Lethal Agent, just because I know you you honored Vince with that book and all your the first three you wrote, really. And then when I saw you putting your own spin on the series it was okay. You know, you earned it. You know, you, you proved to be the purveyor of rap moving forward. And so, uh, well, kudos thanks. And, thank and you. you know what, the thing is it has to happen. You know, I mean, with the survivor, you know, Vince had just passed away and I was writing in the world of Vince Flynn, right? I mean, the world was still the way Vince experienced it. And it was, you know, his books were current. I mean, that's what makes thrillers interesting. Right. So, so writing the survivor, you know, you didn't have to go out on too much of a limb, but it would be hard to write this, you know, just keep writing that book 
as the world evolved. Right. You know, you, you know, Vince wasn't around for the rise of ISIS. He wasn't around for the sort of rise of, of Russia back onto the world stage, but in a very strange way, like on Facebook. Um, and so, you know, the, the series, I, I always think that I'm writing the book that Vince would have written if he was still around, you know, that, that he would have looked at the world and said, this is what's happening, because that's what he was doing at the time. You know, I mean, if, if Vince had been born 30 years before, you know, he'd have been a great Cold War thriller writer. Right. You know, I mean, that's what was happening at the time. Yeah. I, this is, this, I don't know if you've ever gotten this question before, but it's something that has um, bugged both me and, and Mike. You know, these are novels that come out yearly. We're on 20 now. Has the, not that we don't want you to stop writing, but has, has the end game ever crossed your mind? Um, mm. You know. With Mitch? No, not really. Okay. You know, because I think there's such a strong appetite. I wondered if people would start saying, oh, it's time for Mitch to hang up his spurs and maybe train somebody new or, or whatever. But there's no appetite for that at all. I mean, the, the, I feel like the, the appetite for Mitch Rat books is as strong as it's ever, ever been. I mean, the reactions from fans are as strong as they've ever been. And um, so, no, you will never, I mean, maybe a writer someday in the future or, or something, but I would, to me, Mitch is the main guy. He is the operator. And I mean, he's getting a little longer in the tooth and you got to deal with that. But um, no, I, I see him as going strong. All right. well, that's good. Good to, good to hear. Like behind closed doors, is there somebody in a room on the publishing side of things who is like, we need an exit strategy for some point in the future? And it would be so disheartening know. to hear that there are rumblings about that in the background or someone seriously hoping it goes that direction because it's one of my biggest an anxieties. Will I have to live without <laughs> Mitch one day? And so I wonder, I've do those conversations go on? Yeah. They're not telling me if there are. Oh, um, that's the only thing that's strange about it I guess from my standpoint is that being locked in to Mitch Rat does not allow me to explore some of the characters that I would like to, you know, like I would love to write a cold war thriller in which Stan Hurley was 30 years old yes. and just getting into the business, That'd be awesome. you know, like it, so what would have been like 1970? Yeah. So it'd be super James Bond. Like women would have cigarette holders and you'd have a sweet suit with a really skinny tie on. Um, you know, and they'd have like no cell phone. You know, there would be no computers and no cell phones. And, and all, you know, you'd be driving an old car, like following people and stuff. I, I think that, that would be a blast. I just um, rewatched The but, Americans. You know, I would love to yeah. see that, that setting for Stan Hurley, Thomas Stansfield. Kennedy's father, you know, right. Ambassador yeah. Kennedy. I'd love to see that. Like, there's so much. That was such a cool character. And, like, you can just imagine what he must have been like when yeah. he was 30 years old, you know? So um, something like that would be fun. But, you know, th there's so much there. I mean, Scott Coleman easily could carry his own amazing series, right. you know, yes. without Mitch even in it. Um, yeah. Look at Terminal so, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been done to some extent there, yeah. right? So, I mean, you could do 20 books about Coleman and his organization, yeah. you know, Maslick and Wick and all those guys that, you know, getting into trouble all over the world. So um, there's just so much there. 
um, that uh, I don't know who knows. Maybe when I decide to retire from Matt from rap, I'll I'll pitch a 1965 Cold War <laughs> Stan Hurley thing and just do it kind of for fun. We're behind you big time on that. <laughs> Definitely love uh, it. Are you? Do you have? Um, uh, you probably don't. But are you thinking about any of your other series, like the Mark Beeman series, working on that? No. No, I. You know, I can't do it. I. I, well, I, I mean, we, we'll like, take one. You know, we'll take one. That's fine. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think about something like Mark Cameron, who I was interviewing a while ago, and uh, that, how that guy, like, how much that guy can get done. I, like, I have no idea how you'd write. You know your own books. He has got a couple of series, and he's got the Tom Clancy stuff, and he seems to be able to manage it all. But um, yeah, I barely get the Mitch Rapp book done. Well, if you don't mind, we um, we have some questions from some listeners that they submitted, and uh, each of these two people also happen to have their own podcast, so um, they had some questions for you. The first one was uh, Greg Pa. He's the host of the Self Defense Podcast. Was pretty interested yeah, I know, in, Greg. in action scenes, um, hand-to-hand combat, um, self-defense, running a self-defense podcast. What are your inspirations when you're writing action scenes, particularly ones with hand-to-hand combat? Where do you get your research from? How do you go? How do you approach writing those? I mean, we know you can kill a man, so you have the skills. But uh, do you do you lean on any outside sources? You know, it's kind of so. Here's a, here's something nobody knows about me. Um, I started studying jujitsu like before anybody even knew what that was. This was like when I was eight years old or something. My father had a friend who was a private investigator who did a lot of work on um, Indian reservations and used to get in a lot of fights. And he was a black belt in jujitsu and uh, a jujitsu instructor. And I studied that for years as a kid. And then when I moved, we moved to DC, I took up karate and I eventually got my black belt, but it was a really difficult transition for me because like, like I said, to this, this would have been the eighties. No one had ever heard of jujitsu at this point. So like when I was, you know, I, I remember going to my first kind of karate class and we were sparring and I grabbed the guy's hair and dragged him to the ground. He had long <laughs> hair. And I mean, I would have gotten the biggest thumbs up ever from my instructor. And he had been, then, then you should bite him. Um, and uh, this guy's like a street survival guy. And boy, I got in a lot of trouble. Oh man. Um, Raps grab some people so, by the hair. That's been done. Yeah. I mean, so it's a, yeah. So that's what I lean on with that. And it's funny how I still remember the first like UFC, I don't know, you, this was like so long ago. And I remember looking at it and, and it was like, I, I can't remember the guys, but there was like a sumo wrestler and a karate guy and a jujitsu guy and all this stuff. And I brought home the video, this the VHS, right? I brought home the videotape and my wife was like, oh my God, what did you bring home? <laughs> and I said, they're all going to fight. And she said, well, who do you think is going to win? And I said, see that little tiny Brazilian guy? He's going to kill these people. And he did. You know he's it. like, no, that other guy outweighs him by 200 pounds. He's like, he's going to cream that guy. And he did. And so I remember, I haven't gotten involved in that. I, I haven't been involved in martial arts very, very, very long time. But um, I still remember all that stuff. And 
the sparring that I got, I'd come out of those things so bruised and beaten and, you know, and uh, I remember what it was like. So that is one thing. I don't know much about guns, but that is one thing I could bring to, to uh, the, the action sequences. Nice. Didn't know that. Nice. Yeah. Well, we have another two questions from another listener and uh, host of the Com Major, one of the co-hosts of the Com Majors podcast, uh, Brian C. I think he actually interviewed you during your uh, virtual book tour. He writes to to ask, which character have you written? Uh, would you most like to see on screen? That's the first question. Uh, any character? You know, probably. Mitch Rapp series, as far as characters I've invent, you know, that I've come up with myself, it would probably be, we talked about it earlier, Fade. Um, I think that would be, I think that would make a really cool movie um, if you could get the right actor because he's uh, kind of completely nuts. So um, I think if you get the right actor, it would be a really interesting um, take on a character. Okay. And which of the rap novels would you like to see as a film? Which which of the rap novels? Oh man, it's a film. So I I think I would say you know it's funny. Killshot is one of my favorite Mitch rap books, and so here's a funny story. I I thought I was nuts when I got. I was looking like I said on the Amazon reviews, and that's like the lowest reviewed book. Mm. Really, and the, but it turned out that the reason was because, like, they had screwed up the Kindle book. I heard that the and Kindle so people version. People were people were like giving it one star because the book was not because of the content of the book was like they'd screwed up the end of the Kindle book or something. So, I heard they put um, an excerpt at the end, and so people didn't know when the book ended that it was actually was the first yeah. chapter of the next one as a preview. People were like, "The book just ends in this random scene." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, um, but I like that book because it, as for a movie, because it really focuses in on rap. It doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. That's the thing with movies is you always have to remember, you know, you got to compress them into a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And I also thought that Kill, that Killshot was the most, like it, it was the book in which he developed rap the most, that, that you, he spent the most time on telling you who he was, not what he did, but kind of who he was. Hmm. So um, I like books like that. So uh, I, I think that would make a really good film. Plus, it would be perfect because it's kind of the follow-up to American Assassin, which has right. uh, already been made into a film. I like that point about developing who rap was. Yeah, I mean, if you read, if you go back and read that book, I mean, it's very much about Mitch Rap yeah. and who he is, and as a young man, and you know how he felt about. Like, you know, he hated Stan Hurley, like his relationship right. with Stan Hurley. Yeah. Speaking of films yeah. and things going on TV, we've got some good series and movies coming up. I'm just curious, which one are you looking more forward to? So Jack Carr has got picked up by an Amazon uh, limited series for Terminalist with Chris Pratt. And then Netflix picked up the Gray Man movie with Ryan Gosling. Which of those are you most looking forward to? I don't know. I it's impossible. That's sort of impossible to say. I think those are both going to be amazing. And they both have like, like I think equally amazing actors in a, yeah. in a way that are similar right. in my mind. I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to see. I mean, I love both those series and books, but it's hard to know 
how you know what the vision of the of the director and the screenwriter are that's true it's you know it's out of your hands typically at that point and i don't know i'm going to talk to mark here before long i don't know how involved he is and and um you know jack obviously has a lot of sort of contact with the movie industry and and so he's more experienced in that so uh i mean my my take would be to you know like vince used to say you know you chuck your book over a wall and they chuck money over and that's the end of your relationship i feel like that's probably the way i'd go with it i also feel like books uh maybe i'm wrong but i feel like books tend to be better series than they are movies yeah the netflix thing has been amazing for books because I, I would, as fun as it would be to have one of your mo- books made into a motion picture, I'd almost, you know, we were talking about like having Fade made. I, you know, you, that book could be like five one hour episodes, right. limited series. You know, and that would cover the book. Yeah, you can get everything done. You know, can you imagine trying to make Consent to Kill? I mean, oh my God, 750 <laughs> pages of. It takes you, what, 12, 13 hours to read it, and you're going to try to distill that down into an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 some books just take too many. I mean, you have to cut too many You corners. have to cut too much, yeah. 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 Hey, well, Kyle, we appreciate you uh, joining us again on the podcast. We look forward to having you back, if you are willing, down the road. Oh, yeah. Um, and just to leave you with a little something, uh, on the podcast, I tend to write, I let my poetic side come out, <laughs> limericks. And so I thought we'd leave you with a Mitch Rap Pod, No Limits special double limerick. So ah. I don't know if anybody's written you poetry before, but here's, here's my <laughs> I wasn't on, I thought this should be, this should have been on your Christmas card. <laughs> That's, that would have been a good idea on the backside. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, here's my best shot. There once was a man who wrote rap story. Then Kyle took over this territory. A fine job both have done. Oh, what tales they have spun. To Flynn and Mills go all the glory. We hope there will be many more adventures of blood, guts, and gore. So, Kyle, what's next in the 20th rap text? For the answer, I cannot wait evermore. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. <laughs> Thanks for having me and for the limerick. <laughs> we'll post that on Twitter so you can read it, you know, for posterity and into the future. Absolutely. Well, like nobody's ever written me poetry before. So, First uh, time for everything. I, I didn't think it would be someone like, it looked like you, though. I was thinking a little, <laughs> a little more feminine. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Mike is trying to get me to write a limerick for all the books, and I'm just not poetic. I'm a scientist. I can't do it. I Chris can't is do the it. scientist, so yeah. I'm the uh, humanities I, teacher, I so. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Kyle. Well, really thanks, guys. It. Yeah, thanks. This is awesome. It was fun. Happy I hope you have a great new year, and that it's better than 2020. Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed that special interview with Kyle. It was great to sit down and talk to him uh, again. A little bit less technical difficulties this time around, so yes. it went pretty smoothly. And he mentioned that he'd be willing to come on uh, you know, in the future, so we hope to be bringing him on probably to talk about Rap 20 when it gets closer. Rap 20. 
please stick around next week. We'll be wrapping up finally our Consent to Kill, doing the second half of the book and our final ratings. Uh, again, we have to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and then our special agents, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps us grow the podcast. And you can find us online at mitrappod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at mitrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.